Open up to Song of Solomon chapter 7. So we are two chapters away from finishing this bad boy, and we are going to finish it before camp. Uh, we're going to do chapter 7 today. Um, you know, thinking about you guys with uh, camp and uh, not being in school and all that kind of stuff, you know, and I think some of you guys have, have this in your hearts too, but there's some summers that once you get out of school, you get out of your routine, and then in some, some ways it's harder to stay diligent in the things of the Lord because you have more time. Um, there's more of your schedule that you have. When really, because you have more time, realistically, it should be easier to spend time with God during the summer. It really, really should. There's even less of an excuse. Not that there was one to begin with, <laughs> but now there's even less of one. So think about it. You have to be intentional. Um, most people don't walk with God because they're lazy. I would say that that is one of the biggest reasons why people do not walk with God. And all it takes is just a little bit of self-discipline, just a little bit, uh, to just think about your schedule, think about the day, think about what you have going on, and picking some time. It doesn't have to be somewhere you sit and study the Bible for like three hours at a time. Uh, I mean, just take 15 minutes, take 30 minutes, start your day. If you've got some time, do it. Take advantage of it. This time that you have right now is so critical, so critical. So I just want to try to encourage you guys just to be thinking about some of those things, uh, thinking about the weeks ahead. All right, so chapter 7, chapter 7. So chapter 7 really kind of tails, dovetails out of chapter 6, and uh, we're going to be talking about some of that in the context of it. Uh, but I love this chapter too. Every single one of them, there's just been something very sweet and very, very unique that has just been a big, big blessing. So chapter 7, we're going to be talking about their mutual passion and devotion. And then we have our applications. You have the bridegroom describes the love of the Shulamite again. And then you have the Shulamite talking about her husband as well. Doctrinally, the church in Israel's fellowship with Christ and their relationship together. And then devotionally, after returning to peace with Christ, he gives us a renewed outlook about everything. And this is so true. This is so true. There are times in my life where things can get just kind of um, dull and boring in my relationship with God. And if you haven't been there, or if you're not there now, you will understand what that's like at some point. But I would venture to guess that most of you have hit that point in your life so far. That there are just things about the ways of God, getting in the Bible, prayer, whatever, that you're just like, ugh, I'm just tired of it. And obviously we know that's wrong. I mean, we know that that's not a good attitude to have. Um, if you didn't know that, surprise. Um, <laughs> it's not good. But how do you get out of that? Like, how do, you, how do you wake yourself out of that state in order to get excited? Because, you know, I remember back, in, and we talked about this last week, I remember back in my life that there are certain times in my life where I was just so excited about God. I was so excited about the Bible. I was so excited about what Christ had done for me and, and talking to people about it. And then it just seems like lose, lose the momentum. And we talked about that last week. And then heading into this chapter, I feel like I have to talk about that again a little bit because chapter 7 is she has awoken out of her sleep. And now she's being fruitful. And what does that look like? So in order to see this properly, I've got to revisit this a little bit with chapter 6 and chapter 5 even. So go back to chapter 5 and just take a look at this really quick. In verse 2. Chapter 5, verse 2. Just so we can get this properly. Verse 2. I sleep, but my heart 
waketh. It is the voice of my beloved that knocketh, saying, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled, for my head is filled with dew and my locks with the drops of the night. So she's sleeping, but she's stirred, so she's partially awake, and it's from the voice of God. So every time that you come to church and the Bible's opened, every time you open up your Bible at home, anytime you open it up at school or at work or wherever you're at, God's voice is spoken to you. And there ought to be a stirring in your heart about whatever God says. Now, you may not be fully awake. I mean, some of you have been there. Have you ever been asleep and someone tries to wake you up and it just doesn't work? That happens. It happens quite a bit in our lives. And there's some of you that are light sleepers or some of you that are heavy sleepers. It's the same thing spiritually. Spiritually speaking, some of us are light sleepers. Some of us are very heavy sleepers. Some of us, we won't even awake when there's an earthquake. Or like in my example, a few years ago, when a Corvette crashes outside your home in the middle of the night and the horn is constantly blaring and then you really don't hear it until your wife wakes you up. That happened to me. And you think about these things, there are some people are just, they're different. Some of you, when you fall asleep spiritually, some of you sleep hard. And it is impossible to wake you up. And there's nothing that I can do to shake you, to wake you, or anything. It's going to have to take God to do something. He might have to give you a nightmare while you're sleeping to wake you up. That you can't go back to sleep again. Some of you are light sleepers. All it takes is for you to think, I didn't read my Bible today. (laughs) And you tear. And that's all it takes. And that's all it takes. And that's awesome. But it doesn't mean that you're better than the other. It's just you're different. And you've got to know your weaknesses. And those of you that sleep hard, which means you walk away from God and it's hard for you to come back, you better know that that is a weakness that you have. And you need to be more on top of it and more on your game and more vigilant about your walk with the Lord. So here she's sleeping. God's voice stirs in her heart, which is what God is always faithful to do. And, and the one thing that I would be freaked out if I were you is if the Bible is open, the Word of God is taught, and you understand it, and it doesn't stir anything in your heart, I would be scared to death if I were you. I would be scared to death. There is something seriously wrong. That should never happen. You are becoming so cold and callous to the things of God that God can't even move you anymore. That's a horrible place to be in. That's like a lost person. And so if you're saved and that's you, that is a bad place to be in. You've got to do some serious soul searching. Because look at verse 3 and verse 4. She says, I put off my coat. How shall I put it on? I have washed my feet. How shall I defile them? My beloved put in his hand by the hole of the door and my bowels were moved for him. If you belong to him and he's calling to you, and even if you don't really want to respond, your bowels are moved for him. And then she rises up in verse 5 to open to my beloved. My hands drop with myrrh. My fingers were sweet-smelling myrrh upon the handles of the lock. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had withdrawn himself and was gone. So a couple weeks ago we talked about this, that there are times where God stirs in your life and in your heart, and you just wake up eventually, but you're too late. You've missed out on what God really wanted to teach you. And that is not a good position to be in, but I've been there And I've regretted it, and I've gone to the Lord, and I've made things right when I've been in that situation. But it's important to understand that you don't stop there, because then she went, and she searched for him. And she knew where he was at. We talked about that last week. She knew exactly where he was at, and she eventually went, and she found him. And now everything is restored once again. And so the whole point that we wanted to to bring about with that, and even with last week, is... If that's you, if you are asleep, if you are dull, if you are weary in your relationship with God, what you need to do is you need to think back in your life. You need to think back, when was the last time that I was on fire for God? When was the last time that I was excited about the things of God? What was I doing? 
What did my life look like? And go back and do the same things again. That's what you need to do. Identify the things in your life that really took you away. Why did they take you away? Why did that pull your heart in a different direction? Now, are you able to overcome that now? Or is that something that needs to go? You need to just think about these things. Because God deserves to be honored in your life. He really, really does. And he ought to be. And you know it. And I don't need to convince you that because God convicts you that every single day. I know he does. Okay, so now here's the the picture. We've got that. We hit chapter 6. She's now back on track. And now God is excited and blessed by her. And then in chapter 7, he continues describing her and talking about her. And then we're going to see how she responds to him and their relationship together now. All right, here we go. So we're going to read verses 1 through 9, and then we're going to work through these slowly. All right, here we go. In fact, let's do this. Let's get nine readers. 1 through 9. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Okay. Go ahead. First one. How beautiful are thy feet with shoes, O prince's daughter. The joints of thy thighs are like jewels. The work of the hands of a cunning workman. Thy navel is like a round goblet, which wanteth no liquor. Thy belly is like an heap of wheat set about with pillows. Thy two breasts are like two young rows that are twins. The neck is as a tower of ivory. Thine eyes like the principles in by the grave, by the gate of heaven, thy nose is as the tower of Lebanon, which looketh downward, or which looketh toward the mountain. Thine head upon thee is like caramel, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the hair of thine head like purple. The king is held in the galleries. How fair and how pleasant art thou, O love, for delights. His best stature is like to a palm tree. All right, so this is, once again, Jesus Christ's description of his bride after she has returned to him, and now they are back in fellowship together, okay? So the first thing is that he describes here is that her feet are beautiful. She's got butimous feet with shoes. Butimous, that is actually a word. And if you didn't know, just start using it. Everyone will love it. All right, how beautiful are thy feet with shoes, O prince's daughter? Prince's daughter. So immediately when I think about this, some of you may have already thought about it. When you think about that, beautiful feet, what do you think of? Yes, the missionaries. Do we know the passages? You should. They're on your study sheet. Ephesians 6.15. Pay attention. Ephesians 6.15 and Romans 10.15. So Romans 10.15, how beautiful are the feet? They go out and they preach good tidings of good things. It's the gospel. Ephesians 6, your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It's your feet that take you everywhere you go. And, and wherever you go, that's where the gospel should go. That's exactly what happened in the book of Acts, even when they were persecuted. When they were persecuted, everywhere they went, they preached the word of God everywhere they went. And if you never go anywhere, if you just kind of sit home and you don't do anything when it comes to the things of God, you're never going to have opportunities to open up your mouth. Opportunities are everywhere, everywhere. 
You just need to be able to see them. And so here, she has beautiful feet. See, when you're back in, in fellowship with God, you're going to want to talk about the things of God because you love him. Things are restored again. Things are back where they should be because he never left you. And he never forsake. He never gave up on you. And that just makes you more endeared to him. And it makes you want to talk about him even more. If you do not want to talk about him with others, you really, I, I question your motives and I question your love. I'm not saying you don't love God because you can love somebody and still be ashamed of them. I mean, case in point, your parents. Just kidding. Kind of kidding on that one. <laughs> you know, there are times where it's, it's just embarrassing sometimes with family or different things that are going on in your life or there are certain things that you don't even want to talk about in your own life. But when it comes to God and you have that fellowship with him again, it doesn't matter what other people say. You love him and you care about him and you care about the things he cares about. And thinking about this from God's perspective, it's like this. I always tell this to you guys because it really helps me. Envision Jesus Christ standing next to you when you're with people. Does he have a heart for them? Does he love them? Does he care for them? Is he deeply moved for them? Then why aren't you? Then why shouldn't we be? Because he is. And if he loves someone so much like that, that he's willing to give his life for them, and we're not willing to sacrifice part of our reputation or some of our words or some of our time, then we don't have the heart of God for people. And I mean, think about each other in here too. I mean, the relationships that we have is the same thing. God loves each and every one of you so intensely. It is ridiculous. We've spent so much time talking about that out of this book. And so do you care for each other that way? Because he cares for you that way. And I'm willing to bet slight perspective shift, this group would be completely different. It would be completely different. It would continue to get better and better and better as each day goes by because we love each other the way that God loves us individually. That's how it's supposed to be. That's how things are supposed to happen. And the problem is when we get in our own way. So how beautiful are thy feet with shoes, O prince's daughter. And then the next point, the joints of thy thighs are like jewels, the workman of uh, the work of the hands of a cunning workman. I don't know if you've ever been into a place where you've seen like custom jewelry or paintings or sculptures. <coughs> Amazing. Blows me away that people have the talents and the abilities that they have. I've gone to places where, you know, even in, in Roman Catholic basilicas and you walk into places and it is just breathtaking to see the architecture and, and paintings and different. I mean, it's unbelievable. And so when he looks at her, he says that her thighs are like jewels. Now the joints of thy thighs, I thought that was an interesting way to put it there too. And the first thing that I thought of was in Genesis 32. Just turn over to Genesis 32, hold your spot, and look at Genesis 32. Genesis 32. <coughs> Genesis 32. All right, so Genesis 32, giving you some context while you're turning. Jacob is on his way to meet Esau because God told him to return back home and Jacob knew in order to go back home he had to go through Esau's land and that was a big problem because why? Esau hated his brother for stealing his birthright and his blessing and so many years had passed between those two, uh, that, that event and this, this event here and so now he is afraid. He is majorly afraid. 
And so then what happens is, is that he ends up, he wants to send gifts and he has his whole company of people and he's got his family. So he sends everybody out in front of him with gifts in order to give him gifts because hopefully giving a gift will kind of ease his heart. And so by the time that Esau reaches Jacob, <laughs> Jacob can beg for his life and Esau won't kill him. That's kind of his plan. And so in verse 24, everyone's gone. And now it's Jacob, and now he is alone. In verse 24, it says, And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, that means Jacob was winning, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall no more be called no more Jacob, but Israel, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him, and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is that thou, thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved." Okay, this is interesting situation. And obviously God is stronger than Jacob. I mean, there's like no contest there, right? I mean, I think if they were in an arm wrestling match or even playing Uno, God would win. I mean, just that's how God is. And so, um, so here they're wrestling together. But God obviously lets Jacob win this battle, right? This wrestling match. But in then doing so, he touches the hollow of his thigh, and it was out of joint. And that caused him to have a disadvantage. And then, you know, who knows what actually, you know, it, it looks like it was like a draw, you know what I mean? It looks like there was no clear winner on this one, but he touched the hollow of his thigh. Why did God do that? God could have obviously taken him down. I mean, if he's able to say, I am he, and you have a whole legion of soldiers fall to the ground, I'm pretty sure you can take out one guy. But he didn't do that. And in the process, he touched the hollow of his thigh. So this is a great picture of prayer. This is a great picture of how God understands our humanity and when we struggle with things and when we wrestle with things. And so what I love about this story here is, is two things. Number one, Jacob was bold enough to talk to God and to wrestle with him. Even though he didn't really understand, he, he had the boldness to do that. But secondly... God changed the way Jacob walked after this encounter. Because after this, it talks about how he halted on his thigh. Because look at what it says in verse 31. And he passed over Penuel, and the sun rose up upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel need not the sinew, which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh, unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh, and the sinew that shrank. So he had an encounter with God... And the result of the encounter and the wrestling with God is that he came out of the tent no longer able to walk the same ever again. And that is such a great application in your life. That when you wrestle with God and he does something to you, even if it causes you to even be weaker, it's still a blessing. Because every time he halts, which means when he was just walking, every time he would walk like that, you know who you think of? You would think of God. And God blessed him and handicapped him at the same time. How is that a blessing? Because every time he would halt upon his thigh, he'd think about God. And he'd think about how he belongs to him and how gracious God was to him. He saw God face to face and he was preserved. So that makes me think of this woman because go look back at it again in chapter 7. The joints of thy thighs are like jewels, the work of the hands of a cunning workman. 
Now, the picture you have in your head is not Jacob, a guy that's halting, because you think that is something that's not working right. But it is working right. It's the way God wants it to work. So let me just challenge you with this. When God wants something to work in your life, it may feel to you as if it's not working. And that's hard to accept. But as soon as you accept it, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. I promise you. It doesn't make any sense. And what I said to you makes no sense. But that's what the Bible says. And so I'm going to believe it. And when you do that, God looks at that and it's like a jewel to him. It is like the most beautiful sculpture that he's ever seen because it's obedience, it's submission to him. So there are certain things in your life you may not even like about yourself. And God looks at those things and if you're willing to submit those things about you to him, for him to use it, however, it is gorgeous. It is absolutely, it is cunning. It is beautiful. He loves that. He loves that. That's why yesterday I was so blessed. So I did... um, TJ and Maddie's wedding ceremony yesterday. And for those of you that don't know, I'm just going to tell you their story, okay? Uh, if you haven't heard it yet, and I know that I have permission to do this because I've, I've counseled them and I've talked to them. So they were dating, found out she's pregnant. I get the phone call. They have no idea what to do. Very difficult circumstance. He was planning on proposing to her at some point this year, but didn't know when. So now this unfolds. And so we went through some very, very difficult, difficult conversations and tried to navigate that whole thing. And so they finally come to the point, as I'm trying to counsel them, they're like, we need to get married right away because we need to make this right. It's like, this very wise. And then in the process, they're apologizing to some of their friends and family uh, for what had happened, and they're just, they're not hiding it. They're like, we're idiots. We made a mistake. And they did that. And... So I married them in my office on the 30th of March, and then I started meeting with them every week, giving them counseling on how to, how to have a marriage and how to work this and how to do this biblically. They went about it a completely wrong way, but it's, I, want, I want them to be blessed in their life, and, they, and they're submissive, and they're like, we want to do whatever, whatever God wants to do, that's what we're going to do. And they did every step of the way. And so then as a result then, I had the chance to do a biblical wedding here at the church yesterday and to be able to show that picture of Jesus Christ in the church. But before that even began, TJ stood up in front of everybody and he publicly just said a few words to even just clear the air and just to, I put you guys in, in my family, and we put, I put, we put ourselves in a bad situation and we're sorry for that. But we want God to honor our marriage. <clears throat> Who does that? Who does that? Most people in that circumstance, and this is what I said publicly to everybody, most people use those circumstances like that as excuses to stop coming to church, to stop walking with God, and to stay in their sin. Because they don't want to deal with it. They don't, want to, they don't want to work hard. They don't want to be humiliated. And they were willing to be humiliated because they wanted God to bless their relationship and their marriage. And so I'm going to boast on them today because they deserve it. It's a terrible situation. It should never happen to anybody. And they know it. But they have done what was honorable and what was right and what was, what was just and, and every step of the way. And that is beautiful to God. That is beautiful to him. Not the circumstance, but their heart attitude behind it. And then what God can do through it. And God's hand has been upon them ever since they decided to do what's right and to be broken. That is a big deal. So if you want God's blessing on your life, you have to be willing to be humiliated. You have to be willing because we are idiots. 
we put up the facade, we play the game, we, we play the part, we say the right things, but at the end of the day, we are absolutely disgusting. We are absolutely disgusting. We do not deserve God's grace upon us, his mercy, nothing. And if we would just stop hiding that and trying to dress up a dead corpse, God would actually bless us. He would. So God looks at this and says that she's beautiful and says that her thighs are like jewels. The joints of her thighs are like jewels, the cunning hands of a uh, work of a cunning workman. All right, and then along with that too, navel. Talk about the navel, the belly bone. The navel. Navel is like a round goblet which wanteth not liquor. Now, uh, navel is like a goblet. Now, liquor here is not uh, necessarily fermented uh, wine here. When the term liquor here, in the, if you were to look it up and try to study this out, you find out it's actually like, um, you know, the, the fruit juice, basically. So fruit of the vine is how it's used. And this is something that's common. Like a little bit later, he talks about wine. Same thing. Anytime in the Bible you see like liquor or wine. Uh, now, when you see strong drink, that is talking about fermented but you need to study the context because every time wine is used in the Bible, it's not fermented. If you see liquor like this, it's not necessarily fermented. You've got to study the context. So here, her navel is like a round goblet which wanteth not liquor. Now, what's interesting about the navel, and I thought this was interesting in general. So the navel, and, and if you guys do any sort of exercising whatsoever from the time that I spent with a um, uh, trainer, um, the, one of the most important areas of your body when you're working out is your core. It is your core. Most people have back problems because they don't exercise their core. Now, that's weird. Why would your back be affected by your core? But if your abs and your core are properly trained, then the muscles in your back don't have to work as hard. So generally speaking, when people get older and they have back problems, that's why. Now, that's interesting because your navel is also really important too because what's the deal with that? I was joking about the belly button, but what's the deal about the belly button? Yes, umbilical cord, which I think is pretty important pretty important which by the way did Adam even have belly buttons I don't don't think they did but that's my opinion anyway but think about that for a second not the Adam and Eve part but think about (laughs) but think about the umbilical cord I mean if you didn't have a proper umbilical cord when you're in your mother's womb you would be Dead. dead not just dead but dead you would be absolutely dead. There's no way of survival because you get your blood, you get your nutrients, you get everything, your oxygen, everything from the umbilical cord. That's pretty important. And it's interesting that it's important when you are being formed in your mother's womb. And it's equally important that as you get older, your core, the muscles surrounding that same area are very critical for your overall health. I think that's pretty interesting. So her, her navel is like a round goblet which wanteth not liquor. And thy belly like a heap of wheat set about with lilies. Now wheat there is obviously in reference to uh, saints in the scripture. You can look at different stuff. I have, I have the passages out of Matthew and out of John uh, talking about wheat in the tares. Um, and so that's kind of the, the significance of that there. And then verse three, the two breasts are like two young rows that are twins. And, uh, and of course, rows are deer. And I think about deer. I love looking at deer. Deer are just gorgeous. They are gorgeous and they are fruitful. And um, so anyway, that's part of her description as well. Let's keep going. Otherwise, we're not gonna get done. 
Thy neck is a tower of ivory, thine eyes like the fish pools of Heshbon by the gate of Bath-Rabim. Thy nose is as the tower of Lebanon, which looketh toward Damascus. Okay, so her neck is like a tower of ivory. So we talked about this already from the previous chapter, so I don't have to spend too much time on it. But ivory is a picture of strength and royalty. And think about the neck. The neck is a critical part of the whole body, of the whole body. I mean, if you injure your neck, everybody knows about it. Am I right? I remember in choir, we make fun of guys all the time, that they would have a crick in their neck. And then I remember, I think it was like, I remember, I know we did it with Danny, because I know he did it. I think we did it with Brian Gorham, too. But they were standing in front of us in choir, like, hey, Danny. And we're like, what? Ah! <laughs> and we just laugh. And we laugh and laugh and laugh. Because we get him to turn around, and he'd forget that he had a crick in his neck, and it hurt him every time. Everybody knows about it. Everybody know who he is. <laughs> I know. I know. It's terrible. We love each other. That's what you do when you love each other, right? All right. Or at least when Andy loves people. Okay. So anyway, but your neck is very, very important. So when it talks about the neck and the Tower of Ivory, that's really, really critical. God strengthens your life. He strengthens everything about you. If your neck is injured, then everything else just falls to pieces. And then her eyes are like the fish pools of Heshbon by the gate of bath Rebim. This isn't something that's crazy, uh, dramatic, or anything like that. Um, her eyes have been described in the previous chapters. I've got Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 1, verse 9, chapter 6, and verse 5. And they were uh, described there as dove's eyes. So they're just deep and tranquil. Um, I love looking in water. I love water. I love being on the water. I mean, there's something in, about just looking at fish tanks. They're just, I just love it. I've always loved I've grown up with it. Deep and tranquil. Heshbon was the capital city of the Amorites before it became a city of Israel. And then the Israelites uh, was given to Reuben, and then Reuben gave it to the Levites. So Heshbon was a very important city that was given to the priests of God. So that's something that's very, very important. And then her nose is as the Tower of Lebanon, which looketh toward Damascus. Toward Damascus. We already talked about that in verse 4. So towers are a source of uh, protection, refuge, um, where watchmen keep a lookout. So it's very important that that's part of her life and it's on her face. So it's something that's in front of her all the time. Her head is like caramel. So that's on the next verse here. Thine head upon thee is like caramel and the hair of thine head like purple. The king is held in the galleries. So caramel, we've already talked about that a little bit too. That's the places where they would go and they would feed the flocks. It's one of the most fruitful areas in the nation of Israel. And hair like purple. Purple is a, is a sign of what in the Bible? Royalty. Royalty. And that's very, very clear. I've got some cross-references on that one. But then I love how it says this in the universe 5. The king is held in the galleries. Now, all that really means is that he's just captivated by her. He's absolutely captivated by her. That he's almost frozen because he's captivated by how she looks. And he loves looking at her. And that's why he says after that, How fair and how pleasant art thou, O love for delights. He just loves looking at her. She's absolutely fair. And that's not something that is... A shocker to anybody. He said it in Song of Solomon chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 4. And then look at Psalm 45. I like this one. Look at Psalm 45. Psalm 45, verse 10. Hearken, O daughter, and consider, and incline thine ear. Forget also thine own people in thy father's house. So shall the king greatly desire thy beauty. 
for he is thy Lord, and worship thou him. I love that. And I love how it's tied in with verse 10. Forget thine own people and thy father's house. You know, in your life, you have to move on from your old life. You have to move on. You've got to. You've got to understand that your previous life before Christ is not worth it. It is not worth it. If it has any worth to you, you will go back to it. And that's why he says, forget your people. Forget your father's house. Forget who you were. Be who you are. And that is a big problem we have as Christians. We are not willing to forget who we were and we go back. You need to remember who you are. All right, and then let's keep going in Song of Solomon 7. And then he says in 7, 8, and 9, This thy stature is like a palm tree, and thy breast to clusters of grapes. I said I will go up to the palm tree, I will take hold of the boughs thereof. Now also thy breast shall be as clusters of the vine, and the smell of thy nose like apples. So very, very fruitful between the grapes of the vine, and then you have apples there too. But she's described as a palm tree. Interestingly enough, in the palm tree uh, business, um, I think it's in Psalm 92, I have it right there, and then also Jeremiah. But in Psalm 92, verse 12, it says the righteous are like a palm tree. And because in Jeremiah, it says that they are upright. They're upright. They stand, they stand firm. They stand straight up because they are righteous. And that's why they're a picture of righteousness right there too. And then her breasts like clusters of grapes. Now, when I thought about the clusters, my mind went back to Numbers 13. Remember what happened there? They went walking over into the promised land. And they came back with clusters of grapes that were magnanimous. (laughs) Huge, huge, very fruitful land. That's what God desires. We're used to these little tiny, tiny grapes like this. But it was like a huge, huge bough of of grapes that they brought back between a pole. It was unbelievable. So very, very fruitful. So there's a picture of fruitfulness right there too. And it's a picture of godliness as well. And then I like this last part. And so I want to end on this point and then her response. So verse 9. And the roof of thy mouth like the best wine for my beloved that goeth down sweetly, causing the lips of those that are asleep to speak. Okay. So what I love about this one and why I wanted to end on this, and I'm so glad God ended on this in verse 9, is because this goes back to what we just read in chapter 5 and verse 2. I sleep, but my heart awaketh. See, she is now awake. And now that she is awake, she now, according to what this says, her lips, are they speak words that cause those that are asleep to wake, to awaken. That's what she does. Because that's what Jesus did. That's what Solomon did with her back in chapter 5. And now that is what she does with other people. Only people that are awake can recognize when other people are sleeping. It's true. This morning, I had a great example of that because Lucy, I was up with Lucy at about 5.30-ish after you were up with her a few times before that. So that girl was not going back to sleep. I'm just like, all right, fine. So I threw her in the shower and I took my shower and she's in the bottom of the tub just playing. And then I put extra water in the tub while I got ready and she's just smiling at me and playing with the water and everything. So, but then I'm looking at the clock. I'm like, all right, time to go get everybody up. So uh, I carry her back. And um, I go back into the room and like Lucas starts to stir and like Lucy's like so pumped. She's so excited. And then she's starting to say Lily now. And so, but she couldn't see her because she's got one of those tent things over her bed. And so then I pulled the blanket and she starts to see her and she starts getting so excited. She's like, Lily, Lily. (laughs) And then I put her on the bed and she crawls over and she starts rubbing Lily's head. 
and Lily's like slowly coming out of it and then she looks up and then Lily's like smiling at her because Lily like loves her to death so but she is she is for the most part and so but it was one of those things I'm I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking about that and I'm like yeah yeah I mean those that are awake are the ones that can get other people awake that's what we do that's what we're in the business of doing now you can wake people up certain ways <laughs> some ways some ways are more gentle than others and sometimes they require more vigorous attempts than others because of circumstances like if the house is on fire I'm not going to go in and say we need to go like, I'm not going to do that I'm like get out now and I'm like alright you're not moving I'm throwing you over my shoulder we need to get out sometimes it's like that spiritually in people's lives sometimes but other times it's like alright you're being lazy you need to wake up wake up wake up wake up okay you're not moving I'm going to take the blanket away make it less comfortable for you to sleep wake up wake up all right, let's start turning some lights on. Let's start turning. All right, time to get up. <laughs> we got to move. So God does this in your life. The issue is, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to roll over and go back to sleep spiritually? Or are you going to get back up and actually get to work? That's the challenge. That's the challenge. But this woman, she is right with God. She's where she's supposed to be. And now her lips are used to wake other people up. That's what we need to do. You can't wake other people up if you're still sleeping. You can't. It's impossible. It's impossible. You know that you need to do it, but if you're still sleeping yourself, you can't do it. Can't. It's not possible. All right. So that's that's what I wanted to end on there too. All right. So now let's talk about her words back to the bridegroom. Verse 10 through 13. I am my beloved's and his desire is toward me. Come, my beloved, let us go forth into the field. Let us lodge in the villages. Let us get up early <clears throat> to the vineyards. Let us see if the vine flourish, whether the tender grape appear and the pomegranates bud forth. There will I give thee my loves. The mandrakes give a smell, and at our gates are all manner of pleasant fruits, new and old, which I have laid up for thee, O my beloved. Now, this is not difficult to understand. First of all, she starts it off by she is secure in her identity. Most people are very insecure because they're not doing what God has created them to do. Once you're doing what God has created you to do, you can be very secure in who you are. And that doesn't mean you have to be like anybody else. Not at all. You need to learn how to be you. But once you are doing God's will in your life, you will have much more security. You'll have a, a greater sense of security in your own life, who you are, your identity, everything. Everything will make much more sense. So start doing what God wants you to do, and then you'll start to learn some stuff like that. So that's the first thing here. She says, I am my beloved and his desires towards me. That is her heart. She knows that to be true, and so she's living in that way. And then her response out of that is come. She wants to take him into the fields. She wants to take him into the villages, and she wants to take him into the vineyards. Okay, so in the Bible, when you look this up, the field, anyone know what that is, what that represents in the Bible? Go back to the parables out of Matthew. Remember that you have the sower, and he sows in the four types of soil? But the field is the world. world. The field is the world. All right. So Jesus defines that because the disciples are like, what's the deal we don't understand? And Jesus comes out and says it. The field is the world. So he gives the definition. So she wants to take Jesus out into the world with her out into the world where the lost people are. And she's not ashamed about it. She loves him. He loves her. 
I want to take him with me, and I want to go out into the field. Villages. Who are in the villages? People. Where they dwell, where they live, where they raise their families. You can take Jesus into people's lives. You should, where they are. This is not complicated. Let me give you an example. And some of you guys, you know this because you've done it or you know you've needed to do it. You just haven't done it yet. When you're in sports and you're spending time with the people that you're playing with all the time or you're in band or you're in you know, other clubs or you're in classes or you're with your friends, you have opportunities to intersect people's lives. And you have conversations, I would think, because we usually speak and people speak back to us and we listen and all those sorts of things that we do as humans. And so as you're speaking to others and they're speaking to you, you intersect each other's lives. You get into their habitats, into their places, into the, and sometimes literally into their homes. Bring Jesus with you into their homes. If they don't want him, then they just say, ah, I don't want you to talk about that. And they'll be clear about it. But how do you know unless you actually give it a shot? Just give it a shot. If you love Jesus, you'll be talking about him. And so if you're talking about him, then just talk about him with other people. Intersect people's lives in the villages. And then in the vineyards. What's the vineyard? Yep, it is our relationship with God out of John 15. It also is the nation of Israel specifically, your vineyards. But in the Bible, in Deuteronomy 32, there are two types of vineyards. There's the vineyard of the world that produces fermented wine. That's what it says in Deuteronomy 32, the poison of asps. And then you have the good vine, which actually produces proper grape juice. Not fermented, not spoiled, nothing wrong with it. So you're either one or the other. She wants to take him into the vineyard. Vineyard, it's people, it's people work. The vineyard is a picture of like the church, disciples. Um, John 15 talks about how we are engrafted into Jesus Christ and he and us and that we can't do anything without him. And that's how he describes his disciples. It's the same thing. It's a picture of the work of the Lord. And so you're busy doing the work, but you're taking him with you. And what does she say? Let us get up early to the vineyards. Let us see if the vine flourish, whether the tender grape appear and the pomegranates bud forth. There will I give thee my love. See, she is diligent on the vine. She is diligent with the work that God has given her. And she wants to bring him. Let's see if it's actually growing anything. And if not, let's get to work. But let's see if anything is budding. Let's see, because I want to show you how much I love you by the fruit that I'm going to give you from the vine. So the reason why we love each other and we care for one another and we love the lost and we care for the lost and we do all those things, the reason why we do all those things is because we love him and we want him to have fruit. And that's why she says in verse 13, the man drinks give a smell at our gates are all manner of pleasant fruits, new and old, which I have laid up for thee, O my beloved. See, her heart is wanting to work hard to lay up fruit for her husband. That is what she desires. And so if there is no fruit in your life, and fruit doesn't necessarily mean people are getting saved. That's one part of fruit. But fruit in general, I mean, fruit can even be persecution. Fruit can be that you're encouraging other believers. Fruit can be, you know, that you have an opportunity to just talk about God, but nothing comes of it. Fruit can be anything that you do that God would be pleased. Anything that you do that you know would put a smile on his face. If there's no fruit in your life, then you can't give him, you can't offer him anything to show him that you actually love him because he wants fruit. Go to John 15. John 15. Jesus says that he is the true vine in verse 1. But look at verse 8. 
If I were to pick one verse out of John 15, this whole section, this is this would be it. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Your fruit is the proof that you are a true disciple. The fruit that you have proves that you love God. Now, you don't have to have fruit to love God, but it proves it. It proves it. That's why in, in some people's life, you're like, ah, I don't know if they're saved. Or, I don't think they're walking with God. It's not that they're being judgmental. They don't see the fruit. And you can't blame them for that. I mean, if you had an apple tree that wasn't producing apples, what would you think? It's not an apple tree. It's not an apple tree. Or it looks like an apple tree, but it's not bearing any apples. So there's something wrong. Something isn't working right. But too many of us, I think, are content with that. Well, okay, well, I don't know. At least I'm saved. <laughs> I think we're just too content with that. You were made to bear fruit. Second Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. I don't care who you were. I know who you are as a born-again believer. You were made to bear fruit. I don't care what kind of fruit. I don't care the color of it. Fruit. Something. Just something. Fruit means something is working. It's healthy. It's producing. And you can look at that and say, they love God. Because isn't that true? I mean, think about people in your life. Think about people in the church. People that you know love God. They have evidence. There's something they can actually show. They don't even have to open up their mouth. You can just look at their life and you can see they love God. Am I right? Okay, that is God's will for you. And if that is not happening, then there is a problem. And this picture of the bride in Song of Solomon chapter 7 is not you yet. But it should be. I just think sometimes I think we're probably stuck back in chapter 5. And we need to work through those things and get ourselves to chapter 7 so we can actually glorify God. Okay, that's it. Chapter 7. We'll finish chapter 8 next week. Graduation Sunday, camp, form, and money due date next Sunday as well. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for these things that we need to remember all the time. Even in my own life, I need to remember these things constantly. Thank you for being very, very faithful and loving me despite myself. Um, I pray, God, that we would honor you, that we would bear fruit that would remain that we would be honest enough with ourselves. We wouldn't hide the fact that we're not bearing fruit. We would just be honest about it. Because bearing fruit is what you said will glorify you, will bring honor to you. It makes you happy. It's what you desire. It's what we were made for. And if we're not doing it properly, then we're just going to get frustrated. There's going to be things in our life that just, they don't make sense. And we know that we need to do more, but we just feel like we can't. And that's because we're not doing things right. So I just pray that we would yield ourselves to you and allow you to do work in our hearts and in our lives. We love you very much. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, these would be such good pickup lines. Baby, my eyes, my thighs, which look like you. You could totally make this cool. Yeah, Christian pickup lines. Jack, you don't got to worry about it. <laughs> They're all going to say no to you regardless, though. So. <laughs>